The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're working hard to make sure that you have the information and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing career. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its probably biggest meeting of 2019 tomorrow night. I say this because... It was their biggest meeting of 2018, and it was so super popular that people literally said, can you do it every quarter? And the answer is no, we can't do it every quarter, but we can sure do it once a year. It is a panel of super experienced enders, people who have gotten to the point now where they really don't have to work for their money, their assets and their knowledge and their, their uh, you know investments make them the money that they need to live their lives and they are on a on a panel to answer the question if you lost every single thing you have except your knowledge you got no money you got no properties you got no marketing no lists no private lenders no relationships with bankers no nothing how would you go about making a million dollars in two years now, that, that's that's a question you probably want to hear the answer to, right? Because somebody who's been in the business for 20 or 25 years has made all the mistakes, knows how to not do them again, knows what works and what doesn't. And that is the whole topic of the panel tomorrow night. If that sounds super exciting and you're anywhere within a driving distance of Cincinnati, you are welcome to come. Just go get a free guest pass or RSVP at CincinnatiRIA.com, that's CincinnatiREIA.com, and make sure that you uh, look at the entire schedule because there's actually stuff going on at 5.30 and 6, and then the main meeting at 7.30. Again, that's CincinnatiRIA.com. My guest today is a best-selling author, uh, sometime mad scientist of finance, and all-around great guy who is here to talk to us today about some some things that you might you might not um, have heard before uh, about the financial world but if you will listen up and actually uh, pay attention think about what he's telling you and do what he tells you to do it will make a big difference in your financial life whether you happen to be a real estate investor or not joining us from someplace in the world is mr george antone 
Hey, hey Mina, thanks for having me. George, are you at home or are you out and about yeah, today? I'm in, San, I'm in my office, San Jose. You're in San Jose. I never know with you because sometimes <laughs> you're... Sometimes I talk to you and you're in Europe and sometimes you're in St. Louis and I don't never, never know where you are, but, um, good. So, so I thought a lot about this interview today. I thought a lot more about it than I typically think about interviews because there are so many things I'd like to talk to you about and we only have like 40 minutes to talk. So if it's okay with you, the, the, the piece that I want to kind of chunk out of your bigger area of expertise is the idea of leverage, the idea of debt, because you, you, wrote, a, you, wrote, a, you wrote a whole book <laughs> called, called The Debt Millionaire that, that I know a lot of people have read. And you did this at a time when there's this kind of cultural tug of war going on yep. about the idea of debt. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got Sean McCluskey and Dave Ramsey out in the world saying you should, you should never have debt if you can avoid it. You should pay it off as fast as you possibly can. And then we've got you writing a book called Debt Millionaire. So, so it, it, explain to me what you think the advantage of debt is for our listeners. Great, uh, great start. <laughs> so I'm uh, a little bit from my background. Um, I'm uh, I'm a very skeptical person. I'm a numbers person, and uh, everything I do has to essentially add up. So I always start with um, uh, with the intention of proving something doesn't work, um, and the one or two things that do work out of whatever out of a few hundred things um, I'm fascinated by, and. Uh, I make sure I test it, I, I implement it into my portfolio and all that. And one of the things that I found consistently is that debt is a, is a, can be a great thing, but debt can, be a, a, can destroy you too. And so for the people that understand how to use leverage and debt strategically, can leap forward financially significantly and much faster than anyone else, um, as long as you know how to um, measure it, how to manage it, how to control it, and when to ramp up and ramp down, essentially, which we can talk more about here in a minute. But um, uh, it is one of the fastest ways to build your wealth um, as long as you know how to use the right debt and very, very, very strategically. Uh, again, this could be uh, something that uh, people uh, need to, to understand because it can also work the reverse if you're not careful about when to use debt and and all that stuff. So um, the people that really spend the time and learning about it are, are the ones that can really excel with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can, you, can you just, I, I know we're going to spend the whole show talking about this, but just to kind of encapsulate the idea of like, what is good debt versus what is bad debt? Can can you, can you give us some examples? Yes. Um, so I'm going to um, start with the definition of um, Robert Kiyosaki in his book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And from there, I'm going to expand where he fails and where he, he, he you know, he's right about certain things. So Robert Kiyosaki starts by saying, you know, bad debt is anything you use to buy 
um, things that uh, don't make you money. Or And then he says, good debt uh, is debt you use to buy things that make you money, like real estate and other things that will put money into your pocket. However, within good debt, um, you can uh, still use debt to buy, let's just say, real estate or whatever, but it's, if it's the wrong debt, it can totally destroy you. So within good debt, there is what I call strategic debt, which means and it's a subset of good debt. Uh, and that is the type of debt that you are extremely careful how, how you use, how to measure it. So for example, uh, I'll give you some examples here. Um, just like you said earlier, you said you want assets working for you um, in the beginning of the show. And in this case, you want leverage working for you. Unfortunately, many investors are using leverage. They say, you know what? I have free money here, free debt. Let me just buy this property. And what they don't realize is that that leverage can work against them in terms of um, uh, it's not putting, um, it's not creating what's called a positive spread. So here's what I mean by that. Typically, debt you need it in most cases to be uh, a fixed interest rate. You need it to have the lowest, um, uh, you need to have a certain percentage of debt to the asset. In other words, think of it as this. Every asset out there, every asset can only carry, if you will, so much weight. And weight is the debt. So you have to know how much weight or how much debt can this asset carry and you want to make sure you have no more than that amount, that percentage. So, for example, you could buy a property. I could buy the one next to it, and your property can, quote-unquote, carry um, 82% debt. Mine can carry 75% debt. So, um, And then the rest has to be, in this case, equity. So, for example, these are things that people have to measure and say, okay, my asset can only carry so much weight, so much debt, uh, here are the metrics I have to look for. I have to have reserves for this. I have to have this. So there, there's a slew of things that you have to look at. You can't just go out and get that and say, I'm buying a property. I have 80% loan or 100% debt financing, uh, and I'm good to go. And that's what really destroys um, a lot of investors is unable to measure these these the details I'm, I'm touching on here. Most investors can't measure that. You know that, right? In in the in the small real estate investing world, and this is this is I'm not a numbers person like you are, but this is this is vaguely like bothered me ever since I first got into real estate. A lot of times, decisions are made based more on is it easy than it than they are based on is what what does the long-term risk look like? So, for instance, a a lot of people got into the habit back when money was super easy, when you could just walk into a bank and say, yeah, I got a house and I got a driver's license and I'd like to borrow $200,000. And basically that was all it took, right? They would give you $200,000. And a lot of people got into the habit of refinancing their rentals every couple of years to, 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 quote, cash out so that they could Mm -hmm. have some, quote, cash <laughs> which mm-hmm. of course wasn't really like profit or anything like that it was money they had to pay back and then mm-hmm. when the when the chickens came home to roost and mm-hmm. the um the ability to constantly refi your property went away and the the equity went away 
Because yeah. these, these were people borrowing $200,000 on a $200,000 house or a $190,000 house. It, yep. it, it, that, that practice literally crashed and burned the entire world economy. But it seemed like the easy thing at the time because, hey, look, I just took $40,000 out of this property and it's okay. It's good debt because I'm going to use that 40000 to go buy another property and thus increase my wealth. And that's you're, you're saying that there actually is a way to measure that beyond it feels good to me. And exactly. <laughs> and, and, and if you're taking a risk, at least know the risk you're taking. Exactly, exactly. Because as uh, I mean, you're, you're touching on some really good points there, Vino. One of the things that people need to do is when they use leverage, yes, it increases your return, but it also increases your risk. And so the question is, what is manageable risk for a good return? Um, and uh, a, a savvy investor will always look at both sides of the equation. What's a good return and what's... Uh, acceptable risk and what happens if the market starts going down because debt works great when the market's going up but as we all know you know real estate is cyclical once the market starts going down that becomes your worst enemy for the several reasons and many other reasons that you mentioned and so you have to know going into the deal what would i do or what should i do once the market starts going down because that's part of your strategy it's not just about buying the thing it's about you know, what do I do over through the different cycles and what's my exit strategy and all that stuff. So there's so much more to it. But once you, you, you understand it, it's so much easier um, and you have more confidence in buying this real estate because you, you realize how much more you can do with it. The, the uncertainty that you're talking about for most people is, great, I'm going to buy this thing, but I have no idea what I'm going to do when the market goes down. And uh, that's the uncertainty that makes people very uncomfortable with it. And when we return from the break, we're going to talk about some of the things that you should do when the market goes down. We're, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is George Antone. If the name seems vaguely familiar, it's probably because you read the Wealthy Code or the Banker's Code or Debt Millionaire. And uh, we're going to take your questions at 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. Or you can email them in to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is George Antone. And I, I found out today's George's birthday. So... So we 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 found a we found a little song for George for his birthday today. So everybody could everybody could wish you a happy birthday, George. I'll be sure and get you a cake sometime. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, so we're talking today about a a uh, a, a, a very small part. George, of, of what you kind of, like, you have this kind of overall, I'm not going to call it a financial plan for people's lives, but like, here, here's a set of things that if you do them, they will, they will all make a small but noticeable difference and then put them all together and they, they become a hugely big deal. And it's, I often hear, I've often hear, I don't think I hear you say this, but I hear other people say about you that he like knows the secrets 
of the wealthy and how they treat money. And I, that, I hate that word secrets, right? Because it sounds like it sounds like somebody is keeping it a secret <laughs> from the rest of us, or you know that yep. you know you're 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 you're, you're going to open up your overcoat and show show the you know the jewelry that you have underneath there or something. Um, why do you think so many of these things are are so not known? Like, you know, I, it's a hard, um, it's a hard question to answer because I, I've always wondered that. But for me, one of the things I've, I've realized is there's so many, um, uh, there's so much fluff out there. Um, and given that I'm a very skeptical person, I, um, I'm always questioning a lot of this stuff. But once in a while, you find this gem. And you realize there's it's always been known, but when but it's it's buried in the sea of other fluff and other stuff out there, and it's hard for people to to dissect it and figure out that this is one of those gems. So I'm uh, constantly looking at different strategies and things and questioning everything. And again, if I can find one in two hundred, I'd be happy. Um, and that's why I'm constantly looking at the numbers and. That's why I approach things from a numbers perspective is because uh, I don't want to waste my time on uh, strategies that are full of, full of fluff, um, but rather based on, on real data and real numbers. So it's really hard to answer the question other than there's a lot of fluff out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And going back to one of those things that we, we talked about a little bit uh, before the break, which is the, the idea that it is it is possible to mathematically measure and mitigate risk in things like leveraging real estate. And and I, I started to say, and then distracted myself, because I do that, uh, that it, it's always bothered me that people in this whole industry, they, they use very primitive numbers to decide whether to do a deal. You know, they say, oh, you should, you should... Uh, a property's worth a hundred times what it'll rent for, or you should you should get a seven cap on an apartment building, and and those are those might be good for like an initial valuation, but before you put your name on the bottom of a loan or a partnership agreement or anything where you're risking your your reputation, your finances, your loss a lawsuit uh, by not being able to pay it back, you you kind of ought to be able to figure out what the numbers are, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you had started to say that within good debt, you said there was strategic debt and you described that, but I gathered there was another kind of, there was another category within the good debt? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's bad debt within good debt. Um, for example, um, if um, <clears throat> you can use you can go out and get a loan to buy a property, but um, you'll only find out two or three years later that the loan was bad, and therefore that has been that becomes your your bad debt. Even though you're using it, quote unquote, as good debt, like Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but it is you use the wrong one, the one that actually uh, is going to hurt you. Uh, and the problem with leverage is you only find out two, three, four years later. Uh, that it's the, the wrong one. So, um, so again, within good debt, you really want to be um, focused on what I call strategic debt, 
uh, because you can destroy yourself with, uh, you know, bad debt within good debt. I don't have the right terms for mm-hmm. it, but... Uh, you see what I mean? Well, anyone who's gotten themselves into that situation knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yep, when you exactly. when you when you did the spreadsheet with the with the usual kind of primitive numbers, and you said, "Well, this is what it'll rent for, and here's my uh-huh. mortgage payment, and here's my taxes uh-huh. and my insurance, and therefore I'm making money," and exactly. and didn't take into account uh, things like potentially high vacancy rates or a downturn in the market or a downturn in the neighborhood or yep. uh, taxes going way up or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and that, that debt becomes like your biggest problem. And it's, it's a, yep. it's like, it's not just like financially potentially devastating. It's like emotionally, like you can't think of anything else, but how am I going to get out from under this? You know what? You're so right. In fact, uh, for many people that have gone through things like this, the only thing they can focus on is, and, and it really ruins their confidence, is getting out of this, but also they never get back into the game and takes them, whatever, 10 years before they get into the game because it's just shot their confidence. And that 10 years, those 10 years are so critical in building your portfolio and your wealth. So, Ten years can be a quarter of your you know, working life, um, uh, and uh, and you can't afford to be out of the game for for that long. So the reper- repercussions are significant when someone's um, uh, you know is out of the game because they use the wrong leverage. It's significant. Mm-hmm. So, like anything else, like learning how to find deals or learning how to fix houses or whatever, it is uh, it is an area worth your study to uh, figure out how to appropriately account for risks. And you've already given us some of the ideas about uh, making sure that we're carrying assets, making sure that we don't have the property over leveraged because, and over leveraged doesn't mean 101%. Owner le- over leveraged could mean 60% if the, exactly. if the deal is uh, otherwise um, uh, not, not the right deal. Uh, and on this topic, George, I, I, I'm going to jump to a listener question just because it is associated with what we're talking about. This is from Anita here in Cincinnati. Uh, she says, so first, I'm a huge fan of what George, of George and what he teaches, and that's mainly because I've never heard anyone else explain it the way he does. What would George suggest to those of us who have already bought a property and have debt on it, but didn't know what he was teaching at the time that we got it, and now going back to look at the risk and return, uh, perhaps we discover that it is not good debt. What would we do next? Excellent question. So it depends on what the um, what the issue is. So one of the first things I tell people is this is, Build your reserves. And the reason I say that is because the big thing with most investors is if you have reserves, their belief is that it's just money sitting there doing nothing. Therefore, it is, it is you know, costing them. And I tell them that is the worst, worst, worst advice that anyone can give. So I give them the analogy of building a building. Let's just say we're building a 100-story building. And we build a strong foundation, and then you build a building. Now, imagine <laughs> someone tells you, take out this foundation. It's not doing anything. It's just underground. No one can see it. And let's put it into the next building. So obviously, that doesn't work. Reserves serves, serve the same thing for leverage. Whenever you have re- leverage, it's what, 
you over ground, over the, but uh, the foundation is reserves. So you need to have reserves no matter what. And so the first thing I tell people is, if they're in that situation, Anita, is to um, make sure you have reserves. And when I talk about reserves here, I'm talking about uh, debt service and operating expenses. So you add these up, your monthly uh, mortgage payments and your monthly expenses, add them up and multiply by, say, three months at, at least, and eventually uh, build that up to six months if you can, depending on, on what the asset is. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I say. The second thing is um, make sure you know how much leverage um, you should have against that asset. Again, if you have 100% or you know, uh, too much leverage against it, that's that's going to be an issue. So one of the things you want to do is you can deleverage. Now, what I, I'll, I'll expand on what deleverage is. Uh, a little bit later if you want uh, on the show because it doesn't mean you should pay down the, the, the loan necessarily if you don't have the money. There are other ways to deleverage and I'm talking about deleveraging your portfolio not specifically just the one asset. So one way again is add reserves. Make sure you know how much debt you should have um, in your portfolio and in on that asset. Um, the other thing I would say is I'm hesitating because there's a term I want to use, but I'm scared of using it on on the air, but it's a, a measure what's called the loan constant, not the interest rate, but the loan constant on your property, uh, on the leverage. And here's how this works. You simply take your annual payments, so take your monthly payment, multiply by 12, and that's just on the debt, just the principal and interest, remove tax and insurance. Take those payments multiply by 12, that gives you your annual payment, and divide by the loan amount. Not the loan balance, but the original loan amount. And that number should be less than what's called the cap rate on the property, meaning um, the the income. So um, so you can look up what cap rate is and, and figure out the calculation. But the loan constant needs to be less than the cap rate. If it's not, you might want to consider refinancing. I'll give you an example. If you have a 15-year loan, that means you might want to reconsider uh, refinancing and getting a 30-year loan instead of a 15-year loan because a 15-year loan has a very high loan constant. A 30-year loan has a lower loan constant, and we can expand on that later. So, um, Anita, so going back to the main things, I'm going to give you five things to really think about. One is reserves, we just talked about. A lower loan constant, what percentage of debt against the asset? Fourth is, if you can, get a fixed interest rate rather than uh, adjustable. And fifth, make sure your loan period, meaning is it 15-year loan or 30-year loan or whatever, matches your exit strategy. So if you have a, a loan that's about to come due in four years, but you want to keep the property for another 10 years, you might want to refinance anyways. Um, uh, so you make sure you don't have what we call a short fuse, which is, you know, you wait until last minute uh, before you refinance. Mm-hmm. So these are five things you would do immediately. Uh, but the first most important step is start with the reserves, build your reserves, just like I said earlier. I understand why you hesitated to mention loan constant on the air. <laughs> It, that's that's one of those things. It's a lot easier if you have a whiteboard and a marker. You can just exactly. show people how it works. But 
uh, folks, you know that these these uh, programs are recorded and they are put up on realliferealestate.com, uh, generally about 24 to 48 hours after they're done. So if you need to go listen to the podcast and rewind it over and over and over and keep writing down what George said, like I just did, that, that that's what you can do. Of course, there's a second option, which is that you can come to Cincinnati or Columbus next month and actually uh, come see George live where he does, in fact, have... <laughs> a way to write things down. Uh, he's going to be in Columbus on Tuesday, September the 3rd, and in Cincinnati on Thursday, September the 5th. You can get more information about those meetings at centralohiorea.com for the Columbus meeting and at cincinnatiria.com for the Cincinnati me- meeting. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is George Antone, who is uh, an author. He's a, like award-winning instructor. He's got books on Amazon.com, which, by the way, if you're going to buy those, first go to wmkvfm.org, and right up at the top there's this little button that says Amazon.com. And if you click that and then order a book... Or I suppose anything. I don't know if this just applies to books. So I like I could buy a dress, a car. Okay. Uh, and the station here gets a tiny bit of the money and it doesn't cost you one more dime. So just keep that in mind when you're ordering through uh, Amazon. Um, so we're talking today about one little piece of kind of the, the wealthy code debt millionaire stuff he teaches, which is about leverage and we're taking listener questions at 877-772-9658 and also via email at askvena at gmail.com that's a-s-k-v-e-n-a at gmail.com now george i definitely want to get into this deleveraging question but i got another listener question that uh may kind of take us to the same place the question is, what advice would you give with the coming downturn in the market? Typically, you want to buy as much as you can in a down market. So how should I think about making sure I strategically leverage anything I buy in the coming down market? Great, great question. So um, I'm wondering how much how much detail I have to get into because I want to make sure the person gets as much information as possible. So, um, so let me start with um, before I talk about that. Let me give um, the, the listeners some uh, new metrics to think about, and uh, these metrics will help them a lot uh, in in answering the question. So, <clears throat> there is a metric that every investor needs to track. Um, but very, very few people are tracking. And that helps answer the question, which is your debt-to-asset ratio, not not debt-to-income, but debt-to-asset ratio. It's, it's simply your total debt on top. So you take all of the, your mortgages, your credit cards, everything on top, debt, divide by the total values, not the equity, but the value of your um, assets and in the, in the denominator in the bottom. And you calculate that. Now, that number is essentially how fast you're driving your car. Think of it as how fast you're driving on the freeway, for example. And so if that number 
which is a, it's a percentage. But if that number is more than 65%, you are driving way too fast. That means you have way too much debt for your portfolio, and a downturn is going to just hurt you badly. And so one of the things you have to do is always that the, the, the top metric for your portfolio is debt to asset. Next to it is your assets under management, meaning if you take all your total assets, which is the denominator, and put it next to it. So I'll give you an example. If you are at 55% debt to asset and your total assets are, let's just say, $4 million, okay? So you're looking at both numbers, and essentially when you're driving the car, any car, you're looking at your dashboard and you're wondering, you know, am I going too fast? There are speed limits, obviously, so you know you're, you're not going too fast or you're going too fast or whatever. In your portfolio, you should always be looking at that, and that can never go over 65%, assuming you're using the right type of that type, right type of leverage we talked about earlier. Now, if um, in a downturn, you want to lower that number down to 45 to 55% in that range. And you want to make sure you hold on to that while you're building your reserves. And so one of the best things you can, so I don't know where your numbers are. If your number is 24% or you're 15% debt to asset, that means you're not even moving forward. You're essentially just almost standing still. So depending on where that is, you want to adjust it to be somewhere between 45 and 55 in a down market while having the right amount of reserves. So in that case, what you will then do is you'll start buying income-producing assets with less debt. So typically, everyone tells you buy 80% debt uh, or debt uh, income-producing assets um, uh, in any market. You, you don't want to do that. You really want to manage your total debt. And so you look at your, your portfolio and you say, how much debt can I afford? So you're not just looking at debt against a specific asset, but also debt against your whole portfolio. And so, um, so what I would do um, is I would buy income-producing assets, make sure my income from these assets are going into reserves, and I buy more of these. And once the market starts going back up, I refinance and leverage back up. So now I can increase my debt-to-asset ratio back up to uh, no more than 65 or 60%. I try to have all my students at 55% and slowly ramp up their assets under management up to 8 to $10 million or more. And so there's very specific guidelines on, on how you want to do this in um, uh, in the market you're at. So start with that ratio, debt-to-asset ratio. Um, make sure it's within those guidelines I just gave you. And then you can start ramping up or ramping down, uh, depending where you are. And then the market starts going down, go down to the 45 to 55%. Increase your reserves and buy more income-producing assets. Um uh, and have the income going into your reserves. Very good. Let's, Wait too, too long. Let's, no, no, that was great. I, I took a bunch of notes here. <laughs> We're going to go to the phones and talk to Roger, who's calling from San Antonio. Roger, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Roger, your your radio's on, so you're seven seconds behind what you're hearing on the phone, so you need to turn that off because it's going to confuse you. Very good. Let's no, that was great. I, I took a watch. Maybe we should. <laughs> We're going to go to the phone to talk to Roger. Who's calling from 
Roger. Roger, you there? Roger. Right, I'm going to get that fixed. <laughs> That's good. So, so what's your question for George? Uh, am I with you now? You are. Okay. I am so tempted to jump onto the B&B, Airbnb parade, and I love the idea of uh, working with other people's properties. I don't have my own properties to to put on Airbnb, and uh, what do you think about that? Are you, are you familiar with that particular strategy, George? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, so, yeah, I personally don't do it, um, but uh, I I think very favorably of it as long as you know the, you know, I don't know where you're calling from, but the regulations and everything to do with your um, uh, city. Um, and uh, but I think I think it's a great uh, strategy to start, and. Um, just make sure that um, in your agreement with the owner of the of the property that you can uh, uh, you can get out of the lease if there's an issue with if it's a condo like with the you know um, if there's an issue with the, you know, with the um, or if there's an issue with the city or something like that. Uh, I know a lot of people making good money with it. Um, but they always have this clause that they can exit the lease in case something like that happened. So, yeah, um, just be uh, just be aware of that. Good advice, because otherwise you're stuck in a lease on a property that you no longer have any use for. Thank you, thanks to yeah. your city's right. rules. Uh, and of, of course, always thank you very much. As as always, Roger, it's it's important that you really understand the details of that strategy. It it really is right. not a it's really not a rental strategy. It's really more of you're, you're really getting into the hospitality business when you're in yeah. Yeah. Airbnb. So make sure right. you got a good course or a good advisor or something on that before you jump in. Right. Thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you for your call, Roger. Um, okay. So George, apparently the listeners are just going to ask you all the questions today because I, I have another one here for it for, for you. This is from Michelle, who is also from the Cincinnati area. Uh, and this may be one that the the answer is, I don't know, I'd have to know more, but the, we'll see. The question is, if you have a property free and clear, would you suggest A, a cash out refi for investing more, B, a home equity line of credit for investing more, or C, keep it debt free? Great, great, great question. So I'm going <laughs> to... So uh, so, so here's what I'm going to say. So first, let me start with the... <clears throat> uh, so obviously, it depends on the situation. So I'm going to give you a different situation so maybe the person can figure out for themselves which one works best. So I'll start with the story of my wife. Okay. <laughs> so um, if you look at... Um, logically, given my age right now, uh, so I'm 50 years old, and um, uh, I still have a number of years to invest, and I love investing, so it makes no sense for me personally to have uh, debt-free property. However, my wife says I can sleep better at night knowing that we're debt-free on that on our personal residence, for example. So what I tell people is, you've got the logic, what makes 
definitely have the peace of mind. So if peace of mind for you means means debt free, then you know I tell my wife, sure, honey, it's debt free, okay? <laughs> because she gets peace of mind, and uh, therefore and, you get uh, peace of uh, mind. <laughs> and therefore, I get peace of mind. There you go. <laughs> now, having said that, the other option is <clears throat> so if this was a pro- uh, for the properties that are not my personal residence. Um, and uh, my wife doesn't care. Um, uh, we have two options now. We have the the home equity line of credit, and then there's the um, the the refinance mortgage. So here's the decision I make: is if I'm going to use the money for short term, meaning one year or less, or even two years or less, such as private lending or quick, you know, funding quick turnarounds or or rehabs or whatever, I would use a HELOC. If it is long-term, meaning I'm going to uh, use the money as a down payment on a property that's going to you know, be with me for whatever, in my portfolio for five years or more, I would then refinance and get a fixed interest rate uh, mortgage. So it really depends on what you're going to use the money for. Now, what if it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that? So I'm going to use some of it for down payment, but then I'm going to use the remaining for short-term lending or short-term rehabs or whatever, then I would do partial uh, refinance, uh, and then I would put a HELOC in second position for funding uh, things like that. So it really depends on what the person is trying to do. Um, but I think with these sort of guidelines, it should help them, uh, it should help Michelle figure out um, uh, what I would do myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go back to this issue of deleveraging. You have said that word probably five times, and you've said if the market's gonna gonna turn down, you need to deleverage, but you don't necessarily deleverage by paying down the loan. What's that all yeah. about? <laughs> so I started hinting about that. So here's what deleveraging. What most people, when I say deleveraging, they think it's only about one specific property, and it's not necessarily. You're you're really looking for your whole portfolio. So here's what I mean by that is assuming I have a property worth $100,000 and I have $90,000 loan against it. So my portfolio now is 90% debt to asset ratio. Okay, assuming that's all I have. So one way to deleverage is to buy another asset, typically income producing, but for now let's just say another asset with less debt, and then you take the average. So now, let's just say I buy another $100,000 property, and I only use $10,000 just to, to make it to make the example here an extreme, um, $10,000 loan. So now I have $200,000 worth of assets, but $100,000 worth of debt. So now my debt-to-asset ratio, this total is 50%. So what I tell people is when the market is going down, deleverage, but not necessarily by paying off a loan. You're better off putting the cash into reserves, but you can always buy assets with less debt or no debt uh, in order to deleverage your whole portfolio and lower that debt-to-asset ratio. So in a market that's going down, just like I was saying earlier, look at your debt-to-asset ratio. Lower your that metric somewhere between 45 to maybe 50% or 55, depending on where things are, and add reserves. Again, reserves are part of your assets. So that 
adjust your debt-to-asset ratio. And if you need to buy more properties, buy income-producing properties with less debt. So what's happening is you're deleveraging in terms of that ratio. You're, you're having more assets in the bottom and less debt on top of the percentage. And that's the way to take a defensive position in a down market. And then once the market starts going back up, you're always welcome to refinance and increase back your debt to asset, but no more than 65. 65 should be absolute maximum um, uh, or less, obviously. Well, let me and let me let me throw out throw out a challenge here that I've I've actually heard other people say to you when you said things like that, which is, if if I'm buying a hundred thousand dollar property and I'm I've got ninety thousand cash to put into it, so I'm only taking on ten thousand dollars worth of debt. What is the practical difference between me buying the second asset with that ninety thousand dollars and me just using the ninety thousand dollars to pay off the loan on the first property? Yeah, you could absolutely do that, but the ninety thousand might be um, not necessarily your cash. It could be equity financing. So you found a partner to come in with you on on that. So it's not. Oh, and the other part we talked about in the past is you could always always buy properties under market value. So when I'm using those metrics, I'm assume, I'm looking at the fair market value, but you could have bought it well below market. So that's a bonus to your to your metrics, your debt-to-asset ratio. Mm-hmm. Now, you can always go back and do, um, you can always pay down the mortgage with, with cash, but I, I would highly recommend for people not to do that and to rather put it into reserves if the market is going down because having cash in reserves in a market going down is so much more valuable than paying down the mortgage because the mortgage payments are still the same no matter what the amount is, um, but the reserves allows you to cover that um, in case you know, in case you have you know a lot of vacancy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I only wish I had gone into two thousand and eight much more heavily loaded with cash. Yep, exactly. People who That's people exactly who correct. people who did that made a killing. Yep. And and it didn't necessarily feel that way at the time, right? Because we didn't know where the bottom of the market was. But yep. everybody everybody who did that and then were, were brave enough to take that cash back out into the market when it was cut in half now looks yep. like a genius. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and we've been talking about that for, for many years. But it's, it's only when people go through these cycles that they learn, um, you know, uh, they learn the hard way. And... Uh, these some of these lessons you're mentioning, Dina, uh, are 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 gold for the right person. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Yes, and George, unfortunately, we are out of time. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but um, I don't know. They don't. They don't. They just give me this one hour here on the station. So um, <laughs> I'm just. I'm going to have to again remind listeners that uh, George will be in Ohio in September on the third in Columbus, on the fifth in Cincinnati. You can. Get more information about that at centralohioria.com or cincinnatiria.com. Grab a free guest pass. Come see him. He's he's even he's even better in real life when I'm not interrupting him all the time and making him <laughs> making him explain math on the radio. Uh, appreciate you, George. I'll see you in September. 
I really appreciate you having me, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there. Yes, you too. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. at Cincinnati Museum Center and I love WMKV because they are so good to all of us through